0: Gather, gather, all ye spirits. Welcome back to Beatrix Green on Fear, Realm's horror channel. Things have really taken a turn at Ashbury Manor, with our heroes back in the basement with the mysterious pit, facing down a new threat in the form of James' old friend, Stanhope. We'll get back in the pits right after this word from our sponsor.
1: and we can keep making awesome shows like this one. You can also visit realm.fm partners for more information about our sponsors and how to access the different promotions. Thanks again for joining us in our corner of the universe. Listen away.
2: Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday. So make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.
0: You know, one of the benefits of my job here is that I get to pull back the curtain on how these shows are actually made. Back when the writers were developing Beatrix Green in 2019, they met up for a weekend writers' room. And to set the mood, they rented out an actual haunted house in the South. It even overlooked a graveyard and everything. And uh, the show's producer actually changed rooms, leaving her planned room empty for the weekend because she could feel a presence in the corner, watching her, waiting for her. Uh, goosebumps. That's why Beatrix Green is so good. It was written out of fear. But uh, let's get back into it. Our heroes and that terrifying hell pit awaits. I am your host, Do, and this is Beatrix Green, Episode 7.
3: You've come at last! Stanhope's voice was exultant. James's mind stumbled in disbelief. His oldest friend stood in the center of the cave, leaning on a thick spar of tar-black timber, his hair flattened by sweat and smeared with grime. The large scar on Stanhope's chest glowed red in the lamplight, an identical copy of James's father's scorpion signet ring. Behind Stanhope, The pit was partially uncovered, revealing a darkness like nothing James had ever seen. The massive boulder that had blocked it was tipped over and shoved back. Long gouges in the stone floor traced its path. Stanhope had somehow managed to move it. Now only a few pieces of timber stretched haphazardly across the pit's mouth. James stood completely still in shock. The scene was too bizarre. His friend's demeanor was beyond strange. Beatrix moved closer to him. He could feel her warmth along his side, even in the dampness of the subterranean room. What are you doing? James broke this spell and took a few steps forward. He stretched a hand out to his friend. A tight grip on his upper arm stopped him. Beatrix, don't move any closer, she whispered. Ignoring them, Stanhope bent over the lip of the pit, examining one of the timbers. When he looked back at them, it was as if a stranger looked out from his eyes. Stanhope, you're not well. Come with me, I can help you. James called out. Stanhope's laugh echoed off the rock. James, James, he chided. I'm better than I've ever been. Suddenly, James felt his lungs draw tight, as if the air was pushing him, squeezing him. It felt like standing at the edge of a cliff, feeling the wind drawing him toward his death. He couldn't breathe, he was suffocating. Stanhope, your chest, that scar, did you do that to yourself? To James's ear, Beatrix's voice, Sounded as though she were far away even though she was right beside him, but her voice was clear and strong Couldn't she feel this horrible pressure? His old friend's eyes bored into James's Can't you feel the power? Stanhope rasped Let it in James Beatrix pitched her voice low Something's wrong with him wrong with this place she was right, and so was Stanhope, because James could feel it. The air pulled at him, a sucking pressure, something unseen, tugging at the strands of his hair. Come, uh-huh. The voice low, a whisper. Beatrix dropped a hand from James's arm and clasped their hands together. It was as though to steady him. James dared not take his eyes off Stanhope. What have you done? James managed to get out, the words near a whisper as he gasped for breath. At the sound of his ragged breath, Beatrix started. She turned and looked up at him, releasing his hand to place both hands in his hair. She frowned, her eyes searching his for explanation. James winced a smile, trying to reassure her as he managed another breath, he placed a hand over hers still on his temple. Stanhope turned back toward the pit. It's not what I've done. It's what she's done. Stanhope gestured at Beatrix. He's mad, Beatrix said. She dropped her hands from James's face and wrapped an arm across his back. A voice called from behind them. Beatrix! Lord Ashbury! faint light grew brighter as Amanda appeared in the stairwell holding the candelabra, the flame illuminating her from below. What's going on? She demanded as she stepped into the subterranean room. A linen shirt billowed loosely around her hips. Amanda, go for help. Harry is at the tavern. Beatrix began. Ah, Mrs. Reynolds. Please stay. We're just getting to the show. Stanhope's eyes were frenzied. Do you know how many times I've dreamt of being here? Stanhope started pacing. The hours I've spent planning this moment. The years I've spent researching, trying to uncover how to unlock the power. I would have banished the ghost of that woman, given time. What do you mean? Beatrix freed James's mother. She didn't banish her. Amanda's voice was sharp as a slap. She moved closer to Beatrix. Stanhope raised a mocking eyebrow. She wasn't trapped here, you fool. She stayed to protect him, he said. A spasm pierced James's chest. He wanted to cover his ears, wanted to stop himself from hearing the words, but he could feel the truth of them. A surge of knowing emanating from the force in the pit. He could feel it tugging under his skin in his brain. This house and its power are your birthright, Stanhope's voice lowered. And your mother tried to keep it from you, even in her death. But you don't deserve it. I was the one who found it. I was the one who uncovered it. Flecks of spittle glistened on Stanhope's lips. It should have been me. A damp wind, almost like a corpse's last breath, moaned through the gaps in the timbers covering the pit. Give, Give your to you We need to leave. Amanda breathed. They moved a pace back toward the stairwell. Stanhope didn't notice. He knelt beside the pit. We have released you from your binds, Stanhope said. His voice rang with devotion. I have always worshipped to the altar of your power. I have worked to model my life upon it, to force him here and provide the key to your shackles. Amanda's slipper scuffed on the bottom step. Stanhope's head whipped around and he lunged to his feet, his feverish eyes on James. You can't resist it, James, and I will be there to watch you succumb. It will hollow you out, and I'll be the one who takes control of you. And through you, it. His chest was heaving with fervor. I shall control it, as man has dominion over all the beasts. James wanted to shout in anger or denial. He didn't have the air to do it. His head swam as he felt himself list to one side. Beatrix was under his arm in an instant. The fetid wind rushed outward from the pit, from between the gaps in the timbers that covered it, as if eager to seize and to take.
4: Something changed in the atmosphere of the sunken chamber. The air became utterly still, and a murmurous hiss of voices rose around them. What will it do first? Perhaps it will compel you to sacrifice her. Stanhope looked at Beatrix. After all, isn't a sacrifice always required? Stay away from her! James gasped. Stanhope stood and started prowling forward, closing the distance between them. That same scent Beatrix had smelled when she first met Stanhope reached her nostrils. It was the undeniable overly sweet scent of decay and death. Torchlight cast the scar on Stanhope's chest in sharp relief. It was faded and ridged, years old, perhaps even a decade, and it was bleeding. Blood began to trickle out both of Stanhope's ears. A thick, dark blood gathered and spilled, first from one eye, then the other. Amanda gasped. Stanhope stopped advancing. He touched his nose. Runnels of blood from both nostrils met his lips. Stanhope opened his mouth and his teeth were slick with blood, his gums pale. Beatrix couldn't take her eyes off the gruesome sight. It was as if Stanhope's face had become some hideous wax mask, pale and melting. Dark beads of blood popped on Stanhope's forehead. Red patches seeped and spread through the fine linen of his shirt. Stanhope swiped at his face. He stared at the blood coating his hand in wordless surprise. Then horror. No! Stanhope stammered. It's her! She's the sacrifice! Blood rushed out of his mouth with each word. Stanhope took a step forward, lurching suddenly as if not in complete control of his limbs. He fell to his knees. The skin on his chest seemed to loosen somehow, the skin detaching from muscle, from ligament. Folds of skin drooped, inanimate on his face, arms, and chest. Beatrix stumbled back as she supported James, horror overtaking her. Amanda cursed. James pulled Beatrix tighter against his side. What's happening? James leaned heavily on her shoulder. What's happening to him? Ah! Stanhope let out a rage-filled yell. He braced an arm on the stone floor and tried to shove himself up. Something was happening to his arm. The loosened skin was writhing, sliding down. The skin on Stanhope's forearm separated from his elbow, as if cut by a butcher knife. The skin fell to the ground. Wet muscle... Veins and bone were suddenly open to the air. Stanhope stood. He swiped the skin off his hand as if removing an ill-fitting glove. Fury gleamed out of his eyes. He reached for Beatrix with a hand made of bone and meat. Amanda grasped Beatrix and pulled her forcefully back. James stumbled out from under her arm. He held his hands up toward Stanhope. A sudden, deep thrum emanated from the pit. Stanhope's blood-filled eyes went wide. No! The thrum grew louder, joined by the skittering of insect wings. Stanhope yelled as his body was lifted by an unseen force and suspended in the air. His bloody hands scrabbled against nothingness, trying to ease an invisible grip. James took an unconscious step forward, as if to help him. No! Beatrix cried out, pulling him back. Whatever it is, it will take you too. Stanhope's hoarse yell turned into racking coughs. Blood splattered out of his mouth, down his chin and onto his chest. He crumpled onto the stone floor, curled in agony. A blood-slick hand extended toward Beatrix. Help me. The thrum sounded again and intensified. A deep, rumbling groan. An invisible force violently yanked his body backward, he clawed at the floor, fingers grinding down to numbs as he was dragged to the edge of the pit. Stanhope screamed. Beatrix felt a rush of terror and nausea. She couldn't look away. His boot turned, tortuously, slowly. Kept turning. A full revolution. Bone cracking as first the foot, and then the leg was pulled down through the narrow Gap. The dark force continued to pull him down and his screams climbed higher as his hip reached the opening. His other leg remained out of the pit. Suddenly it twisted up with a loud, wet pop of joint giving way. There was a splintering crack. The shearing of the shin bone as something twisted and shoved down. The leg came off at the knee. James cursed as Amanda cried out. Beatrix felt her mouth go dry. She couldn't understand how this was even possible. The horror was beyond anything she'd ever dreamed. Stanhope shrieked, hideously aware as he was forced through two separate gaps in the timbers, piece by piece. Broad swathes of skin peeled off, excoriated from his back and chest by the unforgiving wood. The oppressive presence lessened. Beatrix sensed the thing in the pit lose awareness of them, even for the breath of a few seconds, as if it was focusing solely on consuming Stanhope. We need to leave now, before it turns on us, Beatrix heard herself say. She turned, hauling James with her. My God, James gasped with one last glance at his friend's face. Amanda's lips were white, but she nodded quickly and darted ahead of them, holding her candelabra high. Stanhope's screams and the cracking of bones chased them as they ran from the pit.
2: Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it.
4: Beatrix fought not to listen to the hideous cracking that echoed up the stairwell. Or Stanhope's screams as he was sacrificed to the pit. At first, James leaned on Beatrix, but with every step away from the pit, his strength returned. By the time they reached the Great Hall, he was able to stand on his own. Now where? Amanda asked. The doors won't open. James glanced behind them. As far away as we can go. Beatrix shook her head. There had to be somewhere. The manor was locked tight by that thing, but it hadn't always held complete power here. If what Stanhope said was true, then the ghost of James's mother had stayed in Ashbury Manor all these years to protect him. Beatrix grasped James's arm. He looked down at her, his arm rising reflexively, grasping her in return. Your mother, Beatrix said. Her drawing room, maybe her protective force still holds the power there. This way, James said. The two women followed him through the great hall and into the massive atrium. Beatrix suppressed the urge to glance up at the portraits ringing the massive stairwell. She could feel the malevolent eyes on them and remembered James's words about his father. How he changed after returning to Ashbury Manor. Something had molded his father to its own demonic purpose, twisted and warped him, and turned him into its creature. And it wanted James. It had always wanted him. His mother had died trying to protect her sons, and whatever that thing was had forced her to slash that knife across her throat. Here. James opened the door to his mother's drawing room. Amanda rushed in and placed her candelabra on the table. James took one of the tapers and moved swiftly around the room, lighting the gas lamps. Beatrix locked the door, then moved to the heavy sideboard. Help me push this, Amanda. She dashed over. The clawed feet of the sideboard scraped across the floor as they heaved it in front of the door. What the hell was that thing in the pit? James's voice was strained. Why pursue me, when I could have had a willing accomplice in Stanhope? Beatrix turned to him. His eyes were anguished. Even if Stanhope had only been using him to get close to the power of the house, The fact remained that James had always thought of the man as a friend, and now he was dead. I don't think it wanted him, Beatrix murmured. Whatever this power, this thing is, it recognized something in Stanhope that it could use to get to you. But why kill him? Why do that? James paused. Should I have... What should I have... He thrust his hands into his hair. That man was the only friend from my childhood. Stanhope's last moments thrust into Beatrix's mind. Stanhope, hemorrhaging blood, being dragged and broken and forced into the pit. She would never forget the noises. His agonized screams. The shearing crack of bone splintering like a piece of firewood under an axe. Nausea pinpricked in her cheeks. Amanda's breath soared. Her voice was rough. Don't torture yourself, James. It wasn't your fault. Beatrix shook memories from her mind. She could not let the fears take hold or they would drag her down. Beatrix touched James's shoulder lightly, hoping to bring him back to the present. What should we do now? she asked. We have to get you out of here. Bright blue eyes looked down into hers. Anguish was replaced with determination. James seized her in a quick embrace. Beatrix felt breathless, from surprise, the leaping of her heart, or from the tightness of his arms. It didn't matter. She hugged him back just as tightly. It was a promise. James let go and strode to one of the tall windows. "'We need to get out of this damn house,' he said shortly. He leaned over and tried to pry it open. It wouldn't budge. "'Move!' Amanda called. He darted aside as Amanda hefted an iron lion statuette, slightly larger than her hand. She hurled it at the window. It never reached the glass. Instead, it simply stopped, inches from the window panes, and fell heavily to the floor. I guess that answer is that question, Amanda said. Beatrix wanted to howl in frustration. A feeling ignited in her chest and spread like the leading edge of fire devouring parchment. She would not be trapped and subdued. She would not meekly sit by, nor accept that they were powerless. It won't let us go, and if we can't escape, it seems we must fight it, Beatrix said, resolved turning her words to steel. How? How do we stop it? James began pacing before the fire, the tight, agitated movements of a caged animal. There must be a way, Beatrix said. James leaned back, looking up at his father's crest, suspended in silent domination, even here, in this room, his mother's private sphere. It was always here, James said softly. If what Stanhope said is true, the malevolence was always here, always waiting for us to let it in, to continue. Ah... Birthright. It makes a sort of sense, Amanda said, the dark history of this house. You said yourself, and what happened to your brother? My mother wasn't mad, he murmured. She didn't want to kill us. He glanced at Beatrix. You explained from your vision, but I couldn't understand the why. Why she was trying to get us out. But now I see... If that evil is as old as this house, or as old as the land, Beatrix began, then the evil must be tied to the house as well. It's bound in some way, perhaps to the pit itself, so it uses the male heirs and acts through them. But in all this time, it hasn't taken hold of you yet. And the question is, why? Beatrix went to James and grasped his arms. This is your home. You spent your early days here, visited many times. We've been here this whole night and you're not its willing puppet. So how does it seal its claim? James exhaled, his eyes unable to lift from the floor. Perhaps it's a slow thing, happening by increments, because I can feel it. I want to, I feel it wanting me to give in. And I thrill at the thought of the power. But you haven't, Beatrix exclaimed. It's one thing to be tempted, another to act. And you haven't. She's right. Amanda crossed over, flint in her gaze. There's a choice involved. An act which somehow dedicates you. James stilled. You've thought of something. What is it? Amanda asked him. James raised a finger and pointed at the ornate crest over the fireplace my dream. The nightmares. And the ones with my mother. The ones without my mother. Each and every one had that. The gaslight flickered on the carving of the scorpion. The segmented legs. The fat stinger poised. My father's ring, he said. It's ancient and passed down through generations. First sons only. The scorpion signet. It was said to have belonged to the Roman general. We saw it, Beatrix breathed. In my father's study, James finished the thought. It was supposed to be buried with him, but it was waiting in the drawer and... I wanted to put it on. Even though I hated my father, hated this place, hated everything he ever stood for, I wanted to put it on. At James's words, the fire gutted out in the fireplace a fading crackle like the popping of knuckles as it died. In the hall beyond the barricaded door, a distant thrum sounded. We must reach the study. Upstairs, it's not far. Reach it and destroy the ring. James began shoving the sideboard away from the door again, Amanda jumping forward to help him. The clawed feet screeched in protest across the floor. But how will we destroy it? Beatrix asked. We burn it. "'Melt it down, I mean, then pour the gold upon the flames,' Amanda said. "'How do we know it will work?' James's voice was urgent with hope. Beatrix hesitated. In her time as a medium, she'd learned it was true that objects held power to draw forth spirits and energy. They would have to use the ring to do the opposite, to expel whatever force controlled this house. "'It's the best chance we have,' Beatrix replied at last. "'You said your father was never without that signet.' Every Lord of Ashbury wore it as well, James said. Beatrix was certain, if they had the time, they would find the signet on the finger of every man in the portrait hall. A wind buffeted the door to the drawing room, rattling it in its frame. Amanda grasped James's shoulder. There is no time to second-guess ourselves. We must act. James opened the door, and Beatrix led the way. Holding her dress bunched high in one hand, she dashed down the halls, running toward the imposing doors that James had led her to mere hours before. As they turned into yet another corridor, James moved to the fore of the group. A rank wind rushed up behind them, fluttering Amanda's shirt and Beatrix's dress. The tapers on Amanda's candelabra guttered. James moved ahead, disappearing into the gloom beyond the lamplight. Silence fell. Then... A riot of clattering coming from the darkness in front of Beatrix. James, she called. The clanking intensified, a rattling almost like cutlery in a drawer, while the loose fittings on a harness jangling. I'm here, James yelled back. Beside her, Amanda held her bright lamp aloft. James's pale face gleamed out from the dark hallway. He stood five or so yards ahead of them, at the door to the study. Beatrix breathed a sigh of relief. But then Amanda's light glinted on something behind James on the wall over the entrance to the study. Something shining. Several things glimmering on the far wall. The metallic rattling noise grew louder. Horror dawned on James's face, and he turned to open the doors. Move, Beatrix yelled, grasping Amanda by the shoulder and shoving her against the wall. A double-edged axe whistled through the air, narrowly missing Amanda. It landed on one of the stairwell portraits with a wall-jarring thud. More metal glimmered and rattled on the opposite wall. Damn it, Amanda cursed. She put her hand on Beatrix's back and shoved her down the hall. Run! Beatrix rushed toward James, standing in the open doorway to the study. He reached for her. She was so close to the door. Another blur of shining movement. Beatrix yelped and spun to the side. Behind her, there was a clang. Amanda gave a hiss. Beatrix grasped James's hand and turned to grab Amanda's. A ceremonial sword quivered in the wood of the landing, right beside Amanda. Her arm was bloody as she stared dazedly at the sword's quivering handle. The rattling on the far wall continued. "'Amanda!' Beatrix yelled. James pulled Beatrix through the doorway as Amanda stumbled forward. James whirled and grabbed the heavy door, slamming it shut. "'There better not be any swords in here!' Amanda said in a falsely bright voice, between ragged breaths. Are you all right? Beatrix tore a strip of lace from the hem of her dress. She wrapped it around the wide gash in Amanda's arm. Did you see that? Amanda asked. The sword was aimed right at you. It swerved around him. She tilted her chin at James. Beatrix shook her head. I only saw a flash of light as it moved. She gently knotted the bandage in place as James pushed a heavy settee against the closed door. Heavy thunks sounded against the door. The wicked edge of another axe blade showed through the wood. We need to get a fire going, James urged as he crossed to the fireplace. He bent and positioned the logs in the grate. It needs to be hot enough to melt the ring. He opened up the lamp and poured oil onto the old dry wood. Beatrix rushed to the desk and caught up all the paper she could find. She tore out pages from ledgers, a faded copy of Venus and furs, and other erotica from the desk drawers. She seized a cheap pamphlet with lurid illustrations, rolled it like a taper, and lit it from Amanda's lamp. Outside the door, there was a tremendous crashing noise, followed by metallic scraping. It almost sounded like screams. Beatrix handed the papers to James, who touched the flame to the kindling. The fire caught instantaneously, almost with an intake of breath, like a living thing. James stood and retreated from the sudden heat as the flames climbed. The pounding on the door grew louder. The ring, Beatrix said, turning to James beside her. He wasn't there. He stood over the desk, looking down at a dark gold glimmer. The ring. The hammering on the door intensified. Beatrix and Amanda watched, breathless, waiting for James to pick it up, to put an end to all this. Finally, he reached down. The moment his hand touched the ring, the noise ceased. No knocking, no shrieking screams of metal, no roaring wind or monotone thrumming. Only the roar of the fire. Throw it in the fire, Amanda urged. I shall. But James's voice held no urgency. He seemed spellbound, Twirling the ring between his thumb and index finger, almost as if he admired its shine. James, Beatrix's voice, was sharp. His bright blue eyes turned to hers in confusion. Then an ugly expression stole over his features. His eyes glinted with anger, his fine brows lowered into a ridge, the corner of his mouth curled, his teeth set, Beatrix took a small step back in surprise. James suddenly cried out and put a hand to his temple. I don't want it, he yelled. He stared down at the ring, but it didn't leave his hand. It didn't move. The room flickered in flames as bright as hell as the scorpion signet caught light.
0: All things considered, I think it's safe to say that Stanhope deserved his fate. That's what's so satisfying about the horror genre, right? It can be so satisfying, because villains often get their comeuppance. If only justice was served in real life in such equal measure, right? Alrighty. Uh, wow, we only have two episodes left now, listeners, and I know you don't want to miss them come on back now you hear thanks for joining us bye
1: you're listening to fear beatrix green created and produced by realm your portal to another world listen away
2: on Rachel Uncensored.
1: Beatrix Green is written by Rachel Hawkins, Ash Parsons, and Vicki Alvier Schechter. Produced by Haley Wagreich. Executive produced by Molly Barton and Julian Yap. Performed by Shiromi Arcerio and Alistair Austin. Audio production, sound design, editing, and theme music by Amanda Rose-Smith. Additional editing by Kaylin West. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Executive in charge for Realm, Mary Osadolahi. Fear is produced by Mary Osadolahi. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Ladshaw. Executive produced by Molly Barton, Julian Yap, and Marcy Wiseman. Hosted by Pun Bandu. Audio editing by Corey Barton and Felicia Dominguez. Original theme by Hashem Asadolahi, featuring drummer Andrew Niven and mixed by Max Kuttner. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Fear by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.